This webinar recording is brought to you by Islam and Liberty Network. If you are looking for more, you can find it on our website at islamandlibertynetwork.org. Hello, Muhammad Machine Shen is a writer and journalist. He writes and edits for a number of publications. In 2013, he co-founded Bourgeois, an online platform initially intended to gather his writings and translations in one place, but eventually flourished to become the go-to source for libertarian thinking. He is the translator of The System of Liberty, The Libertarian Reader, Early Islam, and The Birth of Capitalism, Capitalism and Freedom, Natural Law and Natural Rights, Common Sense Economics, and others. Our host today is Adli Amirullah. The topic is Banking in the Islamic Republic of Iran, Caught Between Faith and Performance. Uh, my name is Mohammad Mashinchian. I'm going to talk about Islamic banking, or uh, as the legislature named it anti-usury banking system in Iran. We've been using this scheme for the past um, nearly 40 years. Even though it was supposed to be uh, to be used in a trial period of five years. But I will get to that a little later. I'm sure uh, to begin with, a lot of you, or well, uh, some of you at least, are interested to know a little more about the current climate in Iran. And uh, it is relevant to our talk today. I should say, because Iran is not, people of Iran, let me put it like that, people of Iran are not having the best days. And most of it, at least some of it, is due to the banking system. And for that reason, I think uh, we couldn't choose a better time to talk about this. I will just provide a couple of examples and briefly just touch on the current situation. The IR real is falling, is free falling, I should say, and the Inflation is going up fast, according to a lot of economists, including uh, Johns Hopkins' uh, Steve Hankey, who is focused actually on, on inflation and has been studying the Iranian system as well as Venezuela and other places, Zimbabwe, etc. According to him, we are going towards hyperinflation. I should add to that, uh, we also have a stagnation. So we currently have a stagflation and we are going towards a hyper-stagflation, which is quite an achievement. And uh, some of it is, again, to our uh, banking system. Um, I'm not going uh, going too deep on uh, the monetary policy and the central banking. That's true. It probably requires its own time. But uh, I will say this, that uh, only in the past 15 years, and uh, which comes about the time that Mahmoud Ahmadinejad was elected, up until now, the money supply has grown up 25 times over, and it is rising fast and fast. Uh, so in the past couple of weeks, in the past week, actually, I can even that far, in the past week, uh, Iranian real has lost more than uh, close to 60% of its value just past week. And in the past three or four months, uh, oh, the, I, I'm, I'm not going to even calculate the number, but it's horrifying. And uh, a lot of people have lost all their savings and uh, the money becomes more and more irrelevant. I'm not sure if in a few month, uh, months we still can use this. Uh, and we are, people are worried that we are going uh, towards uh, another Venezuela and we have a lot of similarities. There, is, there are a lot of similarities between the two countries, unfortunately, at the moment. Um, I can also touch briefly on the financial institutions. We have a lot of bankrupted financial institutions. Banks are not uh, getting bankrupt in Iran, ironically, uh, in the sense that all of them are or have been bankrupted for the past decade or so. 
but the government cannot declare them bankrupt because it has uh, uh, it will have some implications and political values and financial. So politically speaking, it is well, unfeasible to uh, declare them bankrupt. However, we had a lot of other financial institutions, all of which almost have been declared corrupted, and the government bailed them out, needless to say, as uh, governments do uh, in these sorts of situations. Uh, so, which, which, by the way, added injury and uh, worsened the situation. And the the, the banking system isn't uh, isn't showing any signs of improvement. So. With that uh, introduction, let's get to the topic at hand. And uh, let me start by saying that the Iranian experiment has been a failure. So let me be very clear. That is the first sentence I'm going to say about Iranian Islamic banking. And uh, we will, of course, talk about as to how and why. And uh, of course, there are those who still try to justify it or to blame political or international situations for this failure. Well, it is commonplace to blame America, UK, West in general for these sorts of failings. But even the apologists agree that the Islamic banking in Iran has not been successful. And I believe uh, there are a lot of lessons to be learned from this. So... I won't talk about activities that can maybe called banking in ancient times in the Persian Empire, that is. I will try to focus more on the contemporary era and point out only important information if uh, relevant to our talk today. And even then, we're not going to get uh, too deep on the history. It is just, uh, I think, important to mention that the first bank in modern Iran was about 140 years ago. And uh, it happened to be a private bank. Uh, privately owned entirely, and uh, it did not seek and did not receive government license or approval of any kind. So at the time, the central government was not as powerful and there wasn't any regulations about this. So they just established a bank and uh, started working. Um, before that, of course, there had been attempts to convince the Shah. They tried, uh, it was uh, the time of Nasruddin Shah, the Qajar dynasty. They tried to convince him that bank is a good thing and has some uses. Uh, the Royal Highness was not impressed and uh, didn't feel like establishing one. But after that, after this private bank I mentioned before, there, was some, there were some other banks which... All of them were, by the way, private banks up until about, uh, I think, eight years ago. Then they established a bank called Sepah, which is, uh, which in Farsi, in Persian means army. It was to finance and organize military efforts. After that, they established a national bank or Meli Bank. And uh, they, then they, pro they gave that Meli Bank the authority to print bills. The first uh, regulatory regulatory law that addressed banking, this is also, I think, important, was enacted close to 90 years ago. So why that is interesting or relevant? Because in writing those statutes and laws, Islamic uh, religious authorities, uh, religious leaders, I should say, they participated actually. They weren't heavily involved, but uh, they were watchful. And uh, up until then, uh, by, by then, I mean, uh, ever since the first bank established was established in Iran, up until the revolution, usually were uh, practiced in Iran and, of course, was frowned upon. 
at the time, the time of these things all coming together, mujtahids and religious leaders, I mean, were quite influential at that time. And we have a lot of uh, instances to demonstrate this. For example, at, at some point, mujtahids decided uh, tobacco was forbidden, was haram. It was a political thing, and uh, they decided that is the case, and people stopped using tobacco. It, it mustn't have been very easy, but they did it, and it worked. Uh, some uh, Another instance, they forbade the uh, usage of sugar, and Again, people stopped uh, using sugar until the problem resolved itself and they allowed using sugar again. So they were involved heavily in the society and they were respected. And uh, uh, at the time of writing those laws, they were watchful. So if a, a law is against Islam, they would act it immediately. They would rally people against it. And that was the extent of their involvement. They have been, of course, uh, we know this, they have been consulted, uh, consulted about, uh, uh, about these laws in, in advance to prevent any problems. At the time, loan sharks aside, there were loan sharks, of course, there, were, there was usury practice, and as I mentioned, it was frowned upon. But to believe it, lending money was quite commonplace, obviously. And they would consider the value of time to provide incentive to get their money back uh, sooner than later. Just as uh, someone would lend their carriage, for example, to someone. Someone would uh, lend their uh, land for agricultural purposes to someone else. Lending money was the same. And compensation was for a certain pre-period of time also was commonplace. So interest, lending money, interest. It wasn't, it wasn't conceived as usury. Usury was considered to be when someone charged a rate of three to four times the rate, the usual rate. As I will mention uh, later, usury has two trademarks. One, it is usually cruel and unreasonable. So lending a loan, again, is not considered to be usury. But lending money with cruel and unreasonable uh, cruel intentions and unreasonable rates, that would be considered to be usury. And I'm, I'm not trying to incite debate uh, about this, and, uh, but that, that is how it was perceived at the time by the believer. And those, by the way, Bazaar at that time was very religious. And these, uh, these people that lend money to each other and charge interest, and the interest was uh, close to 5%, 5 to 7%. The reasonable rate was 5 to 10%. Uh, these people were very religious and they, were, they would close shops two times a day to attend prayers and they were very close to religious leaders. And uh, a lot of, and we, the Shia Muslims, as you probably have heard or know, have a lot of rituals or, and natural things. And these traditions and rituals would not survive if, if it wasn't for the support of the bazaar. So the bazaar was, uh, would financially support every religious effort. And when the religious leaders would ask them or encourage them to do something, they would. But nevertheless, at the same time, lending money with interest was going on very reasonably. In conclusion, I think I can say with confidence that modern economics were accepted and understood in a traditional setting and got along very well with the religious teachings of Islam. That was the case for a long, long time. In fact, up until the revolution of 1979, we had 100 years of banking this way. 
And we never had any problems. And well, we had conventional banking. We had reasonable rates. And religious leaders had nothing against it. But I should pause here to add a little context, without which the U-turn of ideas and practices, after the revolution especially, would seem puzzling, perhaps. After the revolution of 1917, for the past um, 101 years, actually, Iran has been influenced quite forcefully at times by its neighbor, the socialist Soviet Union, and, well, the Russia afterwards. We can see this influence in arts and literature. Almost every novel, perhaps aside from a handful, written in the past century in Iran can be easily mistaken by a Russian novel, for example. Well, maybe not as good, but still. If you change the name of the author, you wouldn't probably able to tell if this is a Persian novel or a, a Russian novel, even though we have a very rich history of literature and Persian language has a long history, as you probably know. But it was so influential, people abandoned those traditions in favor of the trend. Uh, for another example, during the, the war between Iran and Iraq, there was an emergence of a new form of painting, which was very reminiscent of communist propaganda posters. And they have been covered extensively, by the, especially by the Western media, to portray a less than pleasant picture of Iran, and rightfully so, unfortunately. So our, our art and literature was very much influenced, but those were not the only thing. Uh, we also had, this is also important to note, that uh, we had a lot of unrest and attempts to, uh, for independence in Iran towards Russia, because uh, the Soviet Union invested a lot of money and tried to seize uh, some parts of Iran and succeeded, by the way. Some parts of the current CIS was, uh, belonged to Iran before that, including Georgia and some places. So, and, and another thing I, I, can, uh, I think I can point out is uh, all the communist literature, I think down to every pamphlet published by the Communist Party in the Russia, was readily available, has, has been readily available, still is readily available in Farsi. But uh, it, on the other hand, it is interesting to, to know that you cannot find liberal literature, for example, that easily in Iran. Up until not, not long ago, you couldn't find something like something as classic as John Locke, let alone more recent thinkers. So I'm telling you this to understand what was going on during that time, which, which ended, as I, I'm going to mention. So this started an intellectual movement, all of this. The new world brought about some new phenomena that I'm not going to get into too much detail. The, the, the height of this movement probably was Sayyid Jamal, who, let, let me put it like this, some people uh, thought that uh, Islam was not providing all the answers. To the, new, to the new problems of the modern world. And there were attempts to provide Islamic answers, new answers, I should say. The height of these was uh, Sayyid Jamal, I'm not sure if uh, the attendants have heard about him or not, who wanted to use Islam to battle imperialism and Western ideas in general. To do so, he was seeking to add a more political approach to Islam, which uh, ended up as the magnum opus of Ayatollah Khomeini, uh, the doctrine of Balayat Fahi. The, the gist of it is that religion and politics should not be separated. They should, in fact, be merged together. 
and they are two sides of the same coin and they and so on and so forth he, another case was uh, dr shariati he went to france to study and when uh, they, he came back he was a muslim he was a believer he was he also was a socialist and so he he tried very hard to find a solution to uh, he tried so so hard to find socialism in islam that put it like that and he succeeded so and uh, there were other intellectuals as well i can go on about these people in length so one of the reasons in my opinion that happened was that in a traditional setting in a muslim community for example if you try to promote ideas you have picked up and brought back with you from the west or well you come up with in a case it is hit or miss people may or may not like your ideas and might uh, might not even listen to you but if you promote your ideas your new ideas as new findings in islam in islamic understanding and accuse the believer of not understanding what islam really is all about uh, well, then every muslim will listen they don't have any any other choice but to listen to you it also becomes dangerous to oppose or criticize your opinions and because those opposing you are trying to defend the correct understanding of islam so that is why in that time they we, we see the emergence of new kinds of islam everywhere and they call it modern islam they call it islam and nab uh, not being the prime islam that's something of that meaning so and so very different new flavors of islam but uh, in my opinion they were trying to market their own ideas and that was that was it they had some ideas they had most of them they had uh, good intentions of course but with those, with those good intentions they they uh, marketed their own opinions as the position of islam and that is exactly what happened to our banking system two newly graduated students came back from uh, the united states they were graduated in america and they were socialists at the time they happened to be socialists it was during the 60s and uh, the vietnam war and all the movements and uh, so forth and shariati too but by the way shariati was there in the, during the 1968 events of the of paris so you know it is obvious where these people came uh, got their ideas from so two people came back to iran they had their own ideas they were young they were inexperienced uh, they didn't have any prior reputation or anything and uh, if they provided their own opinion if they published their own opinions probably no one would have listened so what they did is uh, quite astonishing and i i would call them charlatans actually these two charlatans they come up came up with an idea they presented they marketed their own ideas as islamic so they uh, they were against capitalism they were against imperialism you know that rhetoric so they came up with a system with a socialist system and since in their opinion it was more close to equality and and the whole uh, rhetoric i'm not go- going to repeat all the all the rhetoric so they they called it islam what they done they did next was next level actually so they went to see mujtahids and at the time after the revolution and by the way the communist socialists had long uh, participated a great deal in uh, the revolution of 1979 in iran and as i mentioned before they they were very uh, had a, quite a big force in iran before that 
they were the biggest political party before the revolution. After the revolution, the, the Muslims, the Islamic uh, leaning factions, which by the way had, let me put it like that, we had uh, two kinds of communists, the atheist communists, more leaning towards Soviet Union, and Muslim communists. Uh, and socialists. So these two were the biggest faction, political faction, before the revolution. And uh, both of them had something, if they had anything in common, uh, was this. So they went to the Muslims, and so the climate was quite receptive of these this sort of early ideas. These two relatively young economists then went to the Mujtahids and made their case. They told the Mujtahids that the current system is Rabawi, or is suffering from usury. And it is a capitalist system, and usury is haunting this Islamic Republic. And uh, obviously, the Mujtahids at the time did, did not know, did not have a very deep knowledge of the banking system as it was. And it was after the, just after the revolution, and they couldn't, in some cases, afford to talk against it. We have instances that uh, some Mujtahids, in fact, Mujtahids were quite outspoken before, outspoken against these new understandings of these new flavors of Islam, like Shariati and Allah and that sort of things. But after a while, uh, they they were very popular, especially among young people. So the Mujtahids uh, started to concede, concede the point. And even though some of them still continue to attack these new trends, many of them will quiet it down. Uh, also, uh, as you probably know, uh, a lot of religious leaders went into politics and expediency uh, and popularity became more important for the religious leaders. And we have, by the way, the doctrine of expediency at that time, which addressed a lot of problems whenever they faced a problem which was, a, was in opposed to the traditional understanding of Islam. They would uh, plead the expediency and go around it uh, for emergency purposes, that sort of thing. So these two people went to the Mujtahids and uh, made their cases. And Mujtahids told them that, uh, well, if the current system is Rabawi, if the, if the current system suffers from usury, it shouldn't be that way. And we should have, we should find a system which is not Rabawi, is not suffering from usury. And that was it. That was the whole. Mujtahid went this far. Mujtahid did not go into details. And they never said that the current system was Rabavi. They didn't know it. They said if it is suffering from usury, then we should find something else. But the, the, in, the, in that political climate, they succeeded submitting their own ideas. And they came up with this trial period of five years to to see if the new banking system, the, the new Islamic banking system they, they had come up with, these two kids, it works, if it works or not. Needless to say, it did not work, but nearly 40 years later, we're still uh, stuck with it. Now, allow me to talk a, a, a little more about this system, what it is. Yes, so uh, first of all, the first uh, thing they went for were the capitalists. They, well, actually, before that, it was the private property thing. Most of the banks before the Islamic Revolution were private. So after the revolution, they thought the capitalists were owning these banks and people should own it. Even though in Iran, we have, well, Islam clearly is pro-private property. There's no question about it. I can provide 
endless amount of evidence to support that. But nevertheless, as I mentioned before, they had their own flavor of Islam. So they made all the, merged about 40 banks into seven banks, seven uh, national banks, seven government government-owned banks, all of which are bankrupted as we speak, and for some time, for quite some time now. So what was the characteristics of this system? First, it was owned by the government. It wasn't privately owned. It was uh, taken away from private property, which is quite un-Islamic to my understanding. Uh, the price fixing started. So the government started fixing the price of uh, the, the interest rate. Before that, interest rate was set by the market. But after that, government started setting the rate and a lot of politicians used that to buy popularity. Again, uh, it is very un-Islamic. Um, another thing was that introduction of the Qarz al-Hassanet to, to for-profit banks, which sounds very good, which uh, if you're for Islamic banking or uh, you prefer your banks to be Islamic, it sounds good for your bank to provide Qarz al-Hassanet. But it's not, a, it's not a good idea. And uh, this is, I, I think, one of those lessons because you're forcing a, a, a for-profit into non-profit activities. And uh, especially uh, when, and by the way, we have been able to have private banks again in Iran in the past uh, 15 years. So for the past 15 years, uh, for the past 15 years, we have we've been having private banks and the government forces all the banks, whether government owned or privately owned banks to these sorts of non-profit activities which for the shareholder is, uh, again, isn't very, very Islamic. Not to mention that uh, the bank, when you try to lend your money as Ghaz al-Hassan without interest, well, it should be uh, used without interest. But the case is, as it happens in Iran, the, of course, uh, the situation, uh, the, the Iranian banking system, the way it works, is that you deposit Qarz al-Hassaneh and then the bank, the bank lends your money for profit, for interest. And by the way, the, the banks in Iran, after becoming Islamic banks, still kept all the flaws in the conventional banking system. So they still charge interest. So it is a common mistake to think that since we have Islamic, quote-unquote, Islamic banks in Iran, then they do not charge interest. That is not the case. They do charge interest. They just uh, try to justify it. It's just the wordplay. They just try to justify the interest they charge with this and that excuse. In fact, today, if you go and get a loan from a bank, it would be for about 27% uh, annual interest, which is, to my understanding, quite high. And uh, so they do still charge interest. They just call it something else to justify the Islamic title. And uh, also, the, they have all the flaws of the fractional reserve banking. For those who aren't familiar with fractional reserve banking, let me explain how it works. In reserve banking, when you deposit your, your money in the bank, the bank lends your, their money to someone else and uh, tells you that your money is safe with them. But then the, the person who receives the loan uh, would deposit the money in another bank. For sake of the argument, let's say he deposits it in the same bank. And the bank lends that money again to someone else. And so on and uh, so goes. And this happens so much so 
if, for example, you deposit a thousand dollars and the bank keeps, and they, they, they usually keep some of the money, usually between five to seven percent. But let's say if they kept 10 percent of the money, they would create about nearly twenty thousand dollars with your one thousand because he, the bank lends 900 and the 900 comes back to the bank and they lend the 810 and then and so on and so forth. And as you know, in history, in the history of Islam, it is abundantly clear that the valuation of money is very un-Islamic and has been prohibited and has been rejected in almost all Muslim societies. But fractional reserve banking alone uh, devalues the money because the money supply goes up and the purchasing of power of the of the money decreases over time. Another thing I can pro- uh, I can uh, mention is the basic function of the banks. As I mentioned before, the usury was considered to be when a wealthy person, a powerful person, would lend small loans to weak people with cruel intentions and uh, unreasonable rates because they were forced to get those loans. They had no other uh, means. So that that would uh, be called usury. But in the current system, they have attended on its head. In fact, these days, average people would deposit their money to keep their their purchasing power because the the money keeps devaluating. So they want to keep the the purchasing power so they deposit it in the bank. And uh, who gets the loans? Usually the major shareholders, big, bigger institutions, con- connected institutions, politically connected, especially in the case of um, government-owned banks. You, it is a joke in Iran that you cannot uh, get a loan of one million. And um, if you want to get a small loan, one million, by the way, is a very small amount. Uh, if you want to get a small loan, you, you, you have to provide all the documents of all of your family members and so on and so forth. But we have many instances of uh, of the biggest loans uh, are usually provided to big corporations, more politically um, connected people and that sort of things. So in effect, weaker people are lending money to more powerful people. And they are not in uh, ex- with the excuse of being Islamic and trying not to charge interest. In fact, what they do, and, and by the way, the, when you do not pay back your, your loan, and it counts over time, then you have to pay a, a penalty. But they have declared that penalty un Islamic, so they wouldn't pay any penalty. In other words, big corporation close to or big guy close to political institutions comes in, gets a big loan and never pays it back. And imagine that in a high inflation climate, which means that if you don't pay your loan for say five years, in five years the money you took initially is worth probably 1% or 5% of the, uh, for example, you get 100,000, five years later, that 100,000 is worth about 1,000. So, and, and you, you wouldn't pay a penalty. Why? Because in Islam, you cannot charge interest or that sort of penalty. Which, but in fact, it is the other way around. And uh, th- there are other things as well. Pushing fuqaha and religious leaders into, into banking is not as good as it sounds. Why is it? Because first of all, fuqaha are, cons- are traditionally concerned with the principles. They are not bureaucrats. And uh, when you force them into you know, details of regulations and that sort of things, they're not necessarily the best people to do the job. 
And what happens is that a lot of people, a lot of bureaucrats, a lot of uh, people can take advantage of sort of all the uh, you know, problems that arises later, people would attribute that to the religious leaders. So now the banking uh, system in Iran is failing. People attribute a big deal of that problems to religious leaders and to Islam. Well, in fact, Islam had nothing to this scheme of banking. And uh, if you look at it very, a little closer, you see, as I mentioned in a couple of examples, it is very much un-Islamic. It is very anti Islamic. So it has weakened uh, Islam in Iran a great deal, and it has reduced the influence of the religious leaders a great deal, I should say. And uh, the the last thing I'm going to mention, and I have written about this extensively, is that religious leaders are not necessarily good economists. And if you spend your whole life with the matters of religion, you cannot be as good an economist as someone who has spent his whole life, her whole life, uh, studying economics. But in fact, that is what's happening. And uh, some of the religious leaders are trying to compete with economists and come up with new theories to compete with the Western theories of economics, which is, well, allow me not to get into that. So thank you. I hope it was useful up until here. I will just, if I may, say one more thing. The question remains, I think, that what is appropriate Islamic banking and uh, if there is such a thing after all. I believe Islam, as I've, I've talked about this before and I've written about this quite a lot, that I think we, with certainty we can say that Islam is compatible with modern economics. And we can explore this and we have been exploring this extensively. And it is a safe bet. It is safe to say that Islam. But trying to uh, come up with new theories of economics from, you know, uh, trying to find socialism in Islam, trying to find liberalism in Islam, trying to find economics. Actually, I, I think it's, it is not a good idea and it is a dangerous idea uh, because of the reasons I just mentioned. A lot of people will take advantage of that uh, opportunity as they have in Iran which is supposed to be an ideal place for uh, Islamic ideas. But as you see, a lot of destructive ideas come about and uh, marketed as Islamic to cover their own shortcomings. And in effect, you damage Islam. You're not doing a favor to Islam by trying to do that sort of thing. So, well, uh, thank you. I'm sorry if I went a little too, too long. Thank you, Mr. Muhammad. Uh, so I'm just I'm trying to summarize a few of, of the Muhammad points. So uh, we had a glance at history of ideas in the contemporary Iran that lead to the relatively unique understanding of Islamic banking, monetary policy, and finance. At the same time, even though we just hover on the surface, still this step is important because uh, otherwise the name and labels can be quite deceiving. As the Persians say, uh, between my moon and the moon, there is quite a difference. This, the very same is true when it comes to the Islamic Republic of Iran in general and the Islamic banking in Iran in particular. Uh, and in addition, uh, our speaker here also briefly touched upon the legislations that establish the so-called Islamic banking in Iran and the role of religious leaders for and against the notion.
And then later in the presentation slide, I found that uh, our speaker also talked about uh, descent from theological argument to study the performance of the Iranian Islamic banking, uh, its challenges and the result after nearly four decades of practice. It may be timely observation as the Islamic banking experiment in Iran draws to a less than stellar conclusion, at least in its current iteration since the, the legislators are not known. Uh, well, Yes, uh, I think we can uh, we can safely say that uh, Mr. Muhammad have 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 given a very briefly idea of or notion on on Islamic banking in Iran. So, do we have any question from uh, from participants in the webinar here? Yeah, the the early question is: uh, Are the banks in Iran state-owned or privately owned, or a mixture of two? Um, yes, uh, the, there is, as I mentioned before, uh, as of 15 years ago, so the revolution was 40 years ago, but as of 15 years ago, we have uh, small private banks. The number of them isn't very numerous, so there aren't many, and they are relatively small, even though they have grown up great, a great deal, but still. But most of the banks, biggest banks, are still owned by the government, and there is something to be said about the private banks. Uh, most of the private banks are because banking in Iran, ironically, heavily regulated. So in that climate, not everybody can, uh, can establish a bank. For example, you and I cannot go and establish a bank. Uh, usually, only people closely related to the institution, the powerful institutions or government institutions, or with political influence, only they can establish or get the license to establish a bank. So even the private banks, most of them indirectly, again, because are owned by the government or the, I should say, political institutions or, yeah, political, I think, institutions is a safe word as any. Uh, let me ask something. Please explain which kind of banks is better in Iran and can work better, private or government? Oh, there is no question about that. Uh, the performance of the private banks exceeds uh, many times. So the government banks are not really commercial banks, unfortunately. So they are big, big banks. They have, they have a lot of assets. They have a lot of branches. So some of them have more than 3,000 or 4,000 branches. Um, they have a lot of employees. For example, Mili Bank, or the, the, the first government bank, is uh, has nearly 50,000 employees but they don't have any they don't show any profit uh, they are they just show loss and one of the reason is that the government forces them to do non-profit things so they the, the politician would uh, tell the bank to give loan to this give loan to that and or for example we want to support agriculture let's uh, start giving loans to the uh, to the farmers. Let's give uh, a loan to the car manufacturers, that sort of thing. So, and uh, they wouldn't, they, they usually wouldn't give back their loans. And uh, as I mentioned before, the, the money comes from people, average people, normal people. But uh, for example, a big car manufacturer gets a big loan from people and doesn't get, uh, give it back. And there's no penalty. So, and made uh, the banking system virtually bankrupt. So it, the, the, the uh, government-owned banks aren't really working at all. Meanwhile, uh, the private banks are more agile. They are smaller. They had to compete with each other to 
to grab the the new customers. People at the at the beginning, uh, people would not trust them because uh, people didn't know they didn't have any reputation. So they had to compete very hard, and that made them resilient. And some of them failed. So in any case, they perform much much better. I see. Okay. Uh, we also have a question more on. What were levels of inflation like before the Ahmadinejad government came to power? The level of uh, inflation reached, uh, well, before Ahmadinejad, it, it was about 30%, 30 to 35%. But um, after that, it reached, uh, according again to uh, authorities who monitor this sort of things, and inflation isn't my special, I should point out, uh, it reached hyperinflation le- uh, status. So it was uh, 100, 200 reached that uh, amount. And the money devalued extensively. I think during the Ahmadinejad era, the money, uh, Iranian real was devalued about, if I'm not mistaken, 12 to 13 times over. Uh, Rouhani, uh, allow me to add that Rouhani government, the first term, uh-huh. uh, they tried to control the inflation and they reduced inflation to even 16%, which was unprecedented for Iran. 16% inflation uh-huh. for us was was great. But in the second term, he let go as well. And uh, now we are facing somewhere near 80%. There are different indications, but I think it's a safe, 80% is a safe bet, if not more. I see. So uh, the next question is, uh, yeah, from Ali Hassan, yeah. Uh, the question is, nowadays we observe growth of many banks in Iran and then uh, private more and more evolve, especially in the last decade. So it seems that in Iran we face with a bad system of banking. Uh, do you agree? Uh, does it mean that Iran must change its economic system or not? Well, I think it is it is safe to say that Iran has to change its economic system. There's no way around it. And uh, everyone knows this. About the banking system, the banking system has not grown. Uh, I'm not sure where you you get your information from. What What is your source, I should say. But banks in the past decade have not grown a great deal, not more than before at least. And they have shown more and more loss. That is true. And their frozen assets have grown a great deal as well. But they, have, they haven't grown too much, especially our biggest banks. But yes, the, the banking system, as uh, I mentioned in the beginning of the talk, the banking system isn't working and it is not a good banking system. And everyone agrees. Some of, even most of people who uh, would normally support this system, uh, there are a lot of people, most of them politicians, would say that the system is good, have not been able to imp- implement it. Implement it uh, very thoroughly. If we could implement it more thoroughly, the system would work flawlessly. So there are that sort of uh, claims. But even they admit that the system as is currently uh, is not working and uh, is moving towards a disaster. Okay. Oh, you're bel- Okay. You're uh, uh, let me ask something. So, uh, Mr. Mohammed, I mean, we talk about Islamic banking, we talk about the role and some brief history of it. I mean, in for me, I mean, at least in the case of uh, Malaysia, we also we, we have seen how Islamic banking have grown since the 1980s until today. And I would foresee it somehow uh, it resemblance a little bit uh, similar uh, case with what happened in Iran. But of course, we have a, a distinct feature to some extent. Yeah, so my question is, 
we, when we talk about Islamic banking, do we really need uh, the term Islamic when we do a product in a banking system? Uh, do you get my, my question? Yes, I do. And uh, that is a very yeah. good question, actually. Uh, I, I do not think that uh, we do we, we need to have the Islamic in the title of everything. Uh, we hear about Islamic psychology, for example, and uh, we hear about Islamic astronomy. Uh, I, I don't think, and uh, also the attempt to find socialism and liberalism in Islam, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, Islam has been around before a lot of these and will be around after them. And these these things come and go. Trends, for example, in in economics at at the time when they were establishing the Islamic banking system in Iran, socialism was popular. Uh, go back fifty year, uh, go forward fifty years, and something else will be popular. If we want to uh, effectively, we are changing Islam to become favorable with the current trends, and I don't think that's a good idea. I think these trends come and go, and uh, in economics, someday, as I mentioned before, someday it's socialism, someday it's uh, Keynesianism, some it's uh, Austrian economy. Behavioral these days is getting popular, and uh, to try and uh, mix religion with these trends, in my opinion, is a very bad idea. And I think we have a lot of evidence to support that. Yes, I I very agree. I am totally agree with you. Somehow we we are being uh, too obsessed in in Islamizing a certain certain conventional knowledge. And myself is coming from International Islamic University from Malaysia. We are trying. I mean, they are trying very hard in finding or Islamizing uh, all this conventional theory, conventional uh, conventional subject into Islam. Uh, I do foresee it as something that is not necessarily, as long as it is in line with, with what Islam believes in, and it is. Uh, I think that is fine. We don't need. We don't necessarily need the term. Okay, so uh, there is more question. Comparing to the Western banking, what is the best model for Islamic countries, especially Iran? Um, well, I think the conventional banking. The only thing I I should um, I could, uh, in my opinion, between uh, conventional banking and uh, the Islamic teachings of the Prophet uh, is the, the only incompatibility I see is the fractional reserve banking. And uh, well, that's a technical thing. I'm, I'm not sure if it's the right forum to uh, talk about this, but briefly, um, in my opinion, uh, fully reserved banking is more in line with the teachings of Islam, is more compatible with the teachings of the Prophet uh, Muhammad. And uh, fractional reserve banking for many reasons. One of them is the devaluation of money. Another reason is that in, in some cases, uh, you get people's money as for casual hasana, as for they are uh, providing that money for, uh, from the goodness of their heart to help their, uh, their fellow human beings. But you risk that money for profit in, in fractional reserve banks. Uh, I think the conventional banking works quite all right, and um, maybe just if if I had to add something, I would uh, say in, in Muslim countries should lean towards fully reserved banking rather than fractional reserve banking. I think that is more in line with the teachings of the Prophet. Okay, thank you, uh, Mr. Mohammed. So, do we have any question from the floor? 
Okay, if uh, if we don't have, so uh, I might ask a uh, last question to our speaker here. So, what do you foresee the future of uh, Islamic banking, uh, not only in Iran but uh, in the whole world? Since Malaysia also having Islamic banking since 1980s, so what 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 is your future prospect for Islamic banking, not only in Iran but throughout the world? Well, I hope uh, the. The trouble is that in the future, these things can go their separate ways. By by these two, I mean the conventional banking, the conventional economics, basically, and this um, monster we have created and named very, I, I don't think that's a good name, Islamic banking for this schemes. But nevertheless, let's call it Islamic banking for sake of the argument. This thing uh, can go its own way. We have it. We have done it for 40 years. We can do it for another 40 years. Other countries can do that. Do the same if they digress from con- conventional banking, from uh, conven- uh, conventional wisdom of economics. Uh, it, it can be damaging. It can be uh, long-lasting ill effects. I think, and uh, I would hope that people get. It, instead of trying to replicate some sort of Islamic banking, in my opinion, we should focus on institutions like Azul Hassana. I personally, I'm, I'm working in a in a small charity. We do provide no interest loans and no interest micro loans, and it has been very successful. I think we should focus on this sort of thing. These are more in line with the teachings of Islam. These with these institutions, uh, we can help our fellow human beings and um, better our societies. But with institutions like this monsters that we call Islamic banking, I, I don't think the future for them is very bright. I, I totally agree with you, sir. I mean, I, have, I also have been talking with uh, bankers, Islamic bankers. They, they told me that they need profit rate because that's how they survive in the in a financial institution. So, uh, I mean, there is like, uh, uh, like I would say, uh, justification made by Islamic bankers saying that they need profit rate because if they don't have that, then how they can survive uh, as a business itself. So this is a never-ending problem. I but yes, I do agree that Qadul Hassan is something that uh, we should emphasize on Islamic banking because this is where we can use it to help the one that really need it in the economy. Okay, so uh, Mr. Muhammad, do you have any final in your topic? Here? Yeah, allow me to thank everyone who attended this webinar and uh, I will uh, elaborate a little more on this topic in the upcoming conference in Islamabad in November. I hope I see you all uh, there. Uh, and thank you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, and thank you, everyone, for joining us in our uh, webinar. And I hope uh, we can see you guys again in the next uh, webinar. Uh, thank you. Have a, good, uh, have a good day. This webinar is brought to you by Islam and Liberty Network. If you're looking for more, you can find on our website at islamandlibertynetwork.org. And if you want to help us, there is a donation button on the site. Thank you for listening and we hope you found it interesting.